Welcome to Season 5 of the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, best-selling author and international speaker, Michael Sherlock. The Shock Your Potential podcast is dedicated to entrepreneurs looking to up their game, increase their income, and scale their businesses to new heights. Shock Your Potential is a professional services company providing affordable services to small businesses, matching entrepreneurs with virtual assistants, and offering specialized leadership and sales training to companies around the world. Learn more today at shockyourpotential.com and listen in now to another motivating episode that will help you to shock your potential. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock, as always. That has not changed. So far, I haven't quit my own podcast. That's a good thing because, you know, today we're going to talk about leadership in a little different way. And as you know, all month we are talking to some fierce and fabulous in females who are also entrepreneurs, and we're learning lessons from them. My guest today, her subject matter is right up my alley and something that I know we are going to dive into really well. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Erica Anderson is the founding partner of a company called Proteus International. It's a coaching, consulting, and training firm that focuses on, and get this and listen closely, leader readiness. That means we have to be ready for all kinds of things, especially in changing situations. Now, for over three decades, she's served as a consultant and an advisor to top execs at today's leading organizations. You've probably heard of a few of them like Amazon, Spotify, Charter Spectrum, even the Yale School of Public Health, just to name a few of them. She's also the author of four best-selling books, including, I love these titles. First one is Growing Great Employees. Next one is Be Bad First, which I think that's important for all of us to just question that a little bit. And I think there's something in there. But she's also a popular leadership blogger at Forbes.com and the host of her own podcast called The Proteus Leader Show, which is a business and leadership podcast. But she's also out with her newest book. Now listen to this, Change from the Inside Out, Making You, Your Team, and Your Organization Change Capable. It was released in October of 2020. And she is still flying high with the book sales. Welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Michael. What a great introduction. I may just have you introduce me at all times. (laughs) I get that a lot. I'm like, I need to become the pitch person for everybody. But I think it's, you know, Erica, one of the things that has fascinated me, especially the last couple of years, is when I get to read people's bios it tells a story. It tells a story we want told, but it also tells us things that are really critically important to us. And those are the ways that we impact the world. And I think that your your bio tells us that, but it still only gives us a little glimpse. So tell us more in your own words, a little bit about you, your business, and obviously we're going to talk about your books, but how all of this comes together to help shock the potential of the people that you work with. So I love your phrase, shock your potential. I think that's so great. And it really lines up with, so when I, I started my business, Proteus, 30, almost 32 years ago in 1990. And the reason I wanted to start this business, I think lines right up with you and your listeners and what you say. So at the time, so this was the late 80s. And at the time, the, the stuff I was interested in, which was leadership and management and communication and teams, at that time, it was so dismissed, it was called soft skills. Right. Oh, yes. 
Oh, the gotcha. only skills were here's how you do your job and everything else is just this kind of BS that nobody really cared about. Mm-hmm. And, and I really, as I watched during the eighties and then starting in the nineties, as everything kind of sped up and flattened out, you know, hierarchies became teams and everything kind of flattened and became very different. I thought these really are the skill. This is, this is how we're going to shock our potential. This is what we need to learn. And in fact, our first tagline for the company was skills for mastering the future. Oh, that's excellent. Oh, I love that. What I figured these skills would be. And I wanted, so I wanted to start a company that would have that frame for coaching and training and consulting. This isn't just a nice to have, this will allow you to be successful, right? And then I also wanted to be what has now come to be called, what has since come to be called a business partner. That, that wasn't a term of art 30 years ago. <laughs> and most people who did, had, did training or coaching, it was like you were selling widgets here. We want three listenings. We want two delegate, you know. And right. I really wanted to become partners with my clients for the purpose of, in our mission, we defined our mission, and it's still our mission 30 years later. Our mission is, this is a shock your potential mission, <laughs> is to help our clients clarify and move toward their hope for future. Oh, I love it. That's what we've been trying to do for the last 30 plus years. And that's everything that we do is lined up with that and, and to help our clients figure out how we can help them do that. What actually is the future you're trying to create for yourself, both either uh, personally or organizationally, and how can we help you do that? And if we're not the ones to help you do it, how can we help you find resources to do it? Yeah. So that's that's kind of the fa- the ground of being for my company. That's what we've been trying to do for the last 30 years. And it's been so fun. <laughs> I love it. And I love that you're still as excited about it today as you were when you started it. Because I think that, you know, that really not only proves the concept of what you're doing, but it also proves what you deliver because that level of enthusiasm is important. But what I really, 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 really so much love. <laughs> is really being honest about this distinction of soft skills. Like being a leader is a soft skill that you have. And somehow that terminology takes away from the credibility of being a leader who understands how to listen, to dialogue, to create teams, to, you know, get buy-in. It's not, there's nothing soft about it. It's it's, it's brilliant. Couldn't agree with you more. And and over the last 30 years, now we have actual data. There's so much data now that shows that people leave jobs because of bad bosses. Yep. People, stay, organizations do better when managers and leaders are good at what they do. I mean, it's not it's not a secret anymore. So yeah. anybody who still thinks these are kind of incidental soft skills is just wrong. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. The data is there to prove it. Unfortunately, there's still people. I don't think there's as many people anymore. I really don't. I think we are getting better as as a work society, but there are still people out there. And what is crazy to me is the number of them that still have jobs, even though they are driving away employees and they are creating hostile work cultures. I just don't know. I mean, I understand delivering results, but delivering the results with that kind of carnage behind you is it's, it's a horrible thing. Wow. We could have a whole other conversation about that. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but I love also that you said, you know, your original tagline was skills for mastering the future. 
which is also poignant because I know we're going to talk a little bit about change, obviously, and with your book, but the future is change always. So whatever skills we need, we have to be constantly looking at them to skills as skills that will help us adapt to change, create change, embrace change, survive change, whatever it is. And I want to, I want to pick up on that if it's okay, Michael, because I, you know, when I, when I write a book and I've said this a number of times, it's really true. When I try write a book, it's because I've gotten curious about something mm-hmm. and I'm, I really want to crack some kind of a code that I think will be helpful to people to have the code crack, you know? And so when I started thinking in 2018 about writing a book about change, we've had a change practice for about a decade and it's, and it's very, very helpful because the core of it is we understand how to integrate the human and the practical sides of change. And, mm-hmm. and so that's powerful. But I wanted, there were some codes even in that that I wanted to crack. So the two questions I had when I started writing this book is, to your to the point you just made, why is change so hard? Mm-hmm. Why is change so hard for most people? That's important. And mm-hmm. then second, if given that it's so hard, what actually happens when we do make a change? What is that mm-hmm. simple individual process when somebody actually makes a change? What happens inside of them psychologically and emotionally? And I thought if I can find answers to those questions, it will make our change practice much more effective, but also it will just be helpful to people to know right. the answers to those questions, right? And I feel like I found really good answers to both those questions, which so- you share with how did you how did you seek these answers? What were you researching for this? Okay, so the first one, why is change hard? I'm a big student of history, and I feel like much of who we are now is because of who we have been a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand years ago, right? Yeah. So I started to think about change relative to our history as human beings. And so I thought, okay, a life a hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, someone's life, changed very little from beginning to end. Ah. So if you're alive 100, 200 years ago, you probably live in the same town that your parents and your grandparents lived in. You probably, Mm -hmm. if your dad's a farmer, you're a farmer. If your dad's a pipe fitter, you're a pipe fitter. You You probably are the same religion and you're living in the same village. And even the day-to-day cadences of your life are not only the same as what your parents were, but change very little from beginning to end. And when a change happened, imagine these people 200 or 500 years ago, when a change happened, it was generally a threat or a danger. Right? Right? It was a war or a plague or a famine or an earthquake. It was a change was change equals bad because people's lives were unimaginably to us stable. Mm-hmm. So think of that of thousands of years of wiring for us to have this homeostatic urge to like, let's just come back to the way it was before. Let's because that's stability, that's safety. And the change is dangerous and threatening. So think about it. That's how we're wired, right? Right. But then you come into the 20th and then the 21st century. And I, I use an example at the beginning of the book. I'm old enough that TV was a thing, a new thing when I was a little kid. And I remember when we got our first TV. So I was a little kid, me and my siblings, we thought it was cool. And then 10 years later, we got our first color TV. So that was the pace of innovation in the 50s and 60s. You know, 60 years ago, 
So that innovation that took 10 years, now we have innovations like that on a daily basis. My phone, the last update that it did probably was equivalent of black and white to color TV, right? Exactly. So even over this last 50 or 60 years, change has sped up so much. And yet we still have this ancient wiring of like, (gasps) every time a change happens, right? Yes. Yeah. So I thought to myself, wow, we really need to rewire ourselves so that we can become, as it says in the subtitle of my book, change capable. So change is no longer every time, oh my God, it's exhausting. And it's, oh, why does this still happen all the time? It's like, no, that's just how it happens. So how can we rewire ourselves? So then what I went to is, okay, now I really do need to figure out what happens when we change so I can understand how to rewire us, right? So I did a lot of observation and thinking and research. And what I noticed, we came to call this the change arc. And you'll see why in a minute. The first thing that happens when a change comes at us, right? So let's say we're an entrepreneur and we understand, oh my gosh, I'm going to need to change my business model. My customers don't want what they wanted last year. Holy Mm -hmm. moly. Okay. So a change comes at us. And it turns out that we first, what we call this proposed change, first thing we want is some information. And it's always the same three things. We want to know, what does this mean for me? Right. Right. What is this change going to mean for me? Literally, what am I going to have to do differently? Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we want to know, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Because we have such a strong preference for the status quo, we we're, we're wanting some really good reasons to change, right? And then the third thing we want to know, and I thought this was so fascinating when I figured this out, is what will it look like when it's changed? Right. Right? Because we have one of the interesting pieces of research I did when I was writing the book is that a lot of psychologists now think that fear of the unknown is our deepest fear. Really? And that makes complete sense to me, because if you think about it, if if thousands of years have made us prefer stability, it's like, whoa, I don't know what that change is going to bring. That's like walking into a dark alley in the middle of the night. I know, you know, so we want to know what the change will bring, what it will look like. So we start gathering this information. And then the next thing that happens, and this is so funny and important, I noticed that when people are starting to gather this information because we are in our core, think change is dangerous and threatening. We start with a mindset that this change that's coming at me is going to be difficult. Yes. And costly and weird. Mm-hmm. And difficult means I don't know how to do it. Exactly. And, or, and, or other people are going to make it hard for me, right? There are going to be obstacles. That's what difficult means. Right. Costly means it's going to take from me things I value. Right. Exactly. Right? If I make this change, it will take away things that are important to me. And it could be time or money, but it's more likely to be deeper or kind of more intrinsic things like identity and relationship and power, right? right? And reputation. Yes. Like it. I don't know how to do this, right? Mm-hmm. So we really think it's going to be costly. And we're just mean strange. It's like, oh, that's not how it works. That's not right. That's not how things are supposed to happen. Right. Right. So we think our 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 foundational disposition is that the change is going to be difficult, costly, and weird. So then I kept observing and I noticed, I especially looked at people who were good at then making change. I noticed that pretty quickly 
they shifted their mindset from this is going to be difficult, costly, and weird to this could be easy or at least mm-hmm. doable. Mm-hmm. This could be rewarding, more rewarding mm-hmm. than costly. This could even be normal. Right. right? Yeah. And normal, normal when it comes to change and when it comes to a lot of things, normal means people like me are doing it, which makes it feel safer. And People I admire and want to emulate are doing it, which is why it's so critical for leaders to model a change. Because right. that's where people, when people are looking around, is this normal or not? Are you doing it? Yes. Okay. I feel a little better about it. Right. Right. Then I noticed you can tell what people are thinking because it comes out their mouths. So when people are thinking that it's <laughs> going to be difficult, costly, and weird, they're like, I don't know. Do we really need to change? It's pretty good mm. the way it is. This is going to be a pain. And as their mindset starts to shift, what they say is, well, I, I guess we could learn to do this. And, you mm. know, it looks like the customers are going to like this better ultimately. And Amy, who I respect, is doing it. And Joe, he's my buddy. He says it's cool, right? They start, right. you can tell their mindset is shifting because they start talking in this easy, rewarding, normal kind of way. And then we notice that it's only when a critical mass of people are thinking that the change could be easy, rewarding, normal, that they start being willing to actually adopt the change and behave right. in the new ways, right? Yes. And this was so exciting to me because this is movable. You can help people through that arc when you know what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and as you were talking, I had this, this just, I don't know, this, this brain explosion because I was (laughs) thinking about how when the pandemic started two years ago, that as everything shut down and businesses like mine completely had to change because I had my entire business built on me getting on an airplane to go speak and train somewhere in the world. And I went through all those, you know, what does this mean for me? What's going to happen? And myself, as well as people around me, when is it going to get back to normal? When are we going to feel normal? And now that we're two years past the initial change, I can't even fathom getting on an airplane twice a week to go someplace and do this. Cause I have created a new normal that I love and I'm growing and changing. So it's interesting to me. I don't hear a lot of that from people anymore. When is it going to get back to normal? Because people have, whether they wanted to initially or not have adjusted in many ways. Um, so it's interesting to me to see now that we're still battling whether or not businesses come back to work full-time in person or they go remote or they're hybrid that all these different things are having a little bit different dialogue. It's not any less uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. Different because I think there's not as much certainty that we're going to have a point where it's all going to be okay. I think that's actually absolutely right. And, And looking at it through this frame of the change arc and understanding that mindset shift, I've noticed that the people who have had the most problem and continue to have problem, continue to think that we're going to go back to normal, I'm putting this in air quotes, yep. are the mm-hmm. people who still think that all of this, you know, remote work, it's difficult, costly, and weird. We can't do it this yeah. way. This is never going to work. We can't, we all got to come back to the office. And, and I've noticed with client companies that some of them have CEOs who are just absolutely committed that everybody's going to come back to the office full time and they're stuck. They're stuck at the beginning of that change arc. And and the people who are doing well are the ones that are saying, well, 
it's a new world. It could, we can make it. We can make it normal. You know, we can figure this out. And I noticed that it was so helpful to us to have this in our own company, because like you, we were doing almost everything in person. And in March and April of 2020, as our business just dropped to nothing, Jeff and Laird and I, my business partners, looked and I looked at each other and said, okay, this seems difficult, costly, and weird. So how can we make it easy, rewarding, normal? How can we move through this change? And we fortunately were able to pivot really quickly to doing everything we do virtually so that as the business started to come back, we could take advantage of it. So I'm seeing not only is this... uh, emotionally and psychologically helpful to have this frame, but it's, it's a, it's a business driver that I feel like the main reason then I wrote the book is like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm telling the truth, you know, that change capable probably is the single most important thing that each of us have to do now to be able to thrive in this new era of nonstop change, which is not going to get less, you know? Yes. I agree. And I just love, I love that term too, you know, to become change capable opens up so much possibility. It's so positive, you know? And so instead of saying to somebody, why do you keep fighting change? Instead, maybe say, let's work to make you feel more change capable. Capable. Yes. And that's why I love that phrase. When I first started, you know, thinking about the book and I I was thinking change positive, but then it's not that that's too Pollyanna-ish. It's just change capable because some change is hard. Some change you'd rather not have it happen like the pandemic, but you need to be capable. And, And I find that when we teach people about the change arc, that what it allows them to do is come at any change neutrally. It's not like, oh, I love change. Everyone's, but but I'm not, I don't hate it. I'm not scared of it. It's just right. like, it's what it is. All right, can I make it easier, more rewarding and normalize it? Can I do that? And that's a yeah. wonderful, capable, neutral stance psychologically, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm even thinking about, you know, my business planning for 2022 and beyond. Um, I even just up to a few months ago, I thought I still had to do it. Like I've always done it. You know, you, you get together, you start looking at your numbers in October, you know, in September and you start planning in October, and then you've got all of your year planned out and that's not realistic anymore. Yes, It's just not, it's not definitely not for my business. And so I said, okay, I'm only going to do look at four months at a time. What makes sense to accomplish? I know what I want to accomplish all of this next year. And not that those things go out the window, but let's just take them in four month intervals and along the way, be adapting and adjusting and saying, is this right? Are we on track? Is, is there anything new that's come on board? And it's been, it's, it's, I'll tell you, it's been freeing, but it's also been a little freaky because I've never operated that way. But as I move forward and I, you know, and I've, turn that into like my daily activities, my productivity for my company has gone up immensely. Yeah, that's great, Michael. I love that. And one of the, so, you know, in the book, I I share about the wise change hard and then the change arc. And then I uh, unpack for people our five-step model, which we use in helping people do organizational change. And it it really aligns with this change arc. And our five-step model is really, the way I see it is it's a great way to make sure you're doing the nuts and bolts things you need to do to make a change at the same time, cascading 
people through their change arc. So yeah. as somebody finds out about the change to help them through that arc so that they can understand and adopt it. And the reason I'm telling you this is that the last step of our model, it really lines up with what you're saying is called keep the change going. Because a lot of times in organizations, even if people make a change fairly well, then they're like, okay, we're done on the next thing. And you have to keep looking at it. You have to do exactly what you said. You, you make a change, but then you have to notice, is it working? Is it getting the results that I wanted it to? No. Then what do I need to change more? Almost all change is incremental and evolutionary and you can't, yeah. it's nothing's one and done anymore. Right. 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 Absolutely. I totally, I love it. I just, and I kind of like, like, keep the change going. <laughs> Whatever you got left over in your brain there, just keep the change. <laughs> oh, Erica, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor for the month and we will be right back. Are you a highly sensitive individual? If you are, you are part of the 20% of people whose nervous system is wired to take in more stimulation than others. This can feel overwhelming, trying to get by through coping and stuck in your shadows instead of your strengths. But it doesn't need to be that way. You can learn to be in charge of yourself physically, spiritually, and financially in a way that honors your highly sensitive self. Heather Dominic is the founder of BusinessMiracles.com, and she's been training highly sensitive entrepreneurs and leaders since 2010 to do things differently by working less and making more of a social impact and a higher income. Whether you've been in business for years or are just starting out, highly sensitive entrepreneurs are sick of trying to, usually secretly, manage overwhelm and other ways your highly sensitive nervous system tends to hijack and work against you. Now you're ready to learn how to be comfortable in your highly sensitive skin, to create your work and life to match who you truly are so you can work less while making more impact and income. I should know, as a super uber highly sensitive entrepreneur myself, working with Heather and her team has changed my life and my businesses. To learn more, please use our affiliate link in the show notes or reach out to the Business Miracles team and tell them you heard about them from the Shock Your Potential podcast. Every listener who joins the Business Miracles program in 2022 will receive a selection of five best-selling books from our Shock Your Potential bookstore authors. Leading as a highly sensitive entrepreneur is a mindset to hold and an energy to embody. To lead means to show someone the way to be in charge of. As a highly sensitive entrepreneur, this starts with learning how to be in charge of yourself first and your purpose second. And we are back with Erica Anderson and we are talking about all things change and being change capable, which I am just, it's making me smile so much because it's, it's so powerful and positive without a doubt. But you know, I'm followed by a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of entrepreneurs, obviously in the last couple of years have struggled um, there's a lot of change that doesn't always feel good. It feels scary and uncomfortable, yes. Yes. but also as entrepreneurs, we have to continue to change and grow, not just change our businesses and all those things, but we have to be willing and, and able and capable of changing and growing. So I've been asking all my guests this month, like, what have you learned about yourself? So you've been an entrepreneur for 30 years, 30 plus years. 
What have you learned about yourself over that time that has helped you be successful or that you knew, hey, this is really now part of my special sauce, makes me who I am, or maybe this is part of my greatest strengths and I finally embraced it and leaned into it. What do you know about yourself that would help somebody else be inspired to keep going in those moments where they need to continually change and grow? Man, I love that question. One of the things that I know is true for me, and because I know it's true for me, I'm I'm always able to say it authentically to people I coach and people I deal with is, you know, the thing they tell you when you're on an airplane that put on your own mask before attempting to help others. That is probably the core thing I've learned over the years as an entrepreneur. It's like, I have to do it first myself. Yeah. And there's a bunch of reasons that that's true. First of all, there's a wonderful quote from Albert Einstein who said, I can only explain something simply if I really understand it. Oh, right. That's very profound. I've never heard that quote. And I love it. And it's absolutely true. And when we're entrepreneurs, as entrepreneurs, we are often in the position of having to help someone see something, whether it's someone in our organization or whether we're kind of pitching ourselves or our organization, somebody, we have to help them see it. And I have understood over the years, it's put on your own mask first. I can't really help somebody see something until I see it very clearly myself. And then I can explain it in a way that's simple and compelling and meaningful. So that's one reason that put your mask on first is important. But then there is this thing of authenticity. There's another, I'm, I'm, as you can tell, big fan of stories. So there's this wonderful story about Mahatma Gandhi that I really love and that I put in one of my books for this reason. And um, even though, you know, he was a, a critical figure in the evolution of India, and he was also a spiritual figure. And so people used to come to him for blessings. They used to ask him things, ask him for blessing, ask him to do things. So supposedly one day this young woman and people would stand in lines, you know, and she came to the front of the line, said, Mahatmaji, um, I need I need a boon. My my son is eating way too much. and It's bad for his health. And he won't believe me if telling him not to do it. But I know he'll believe you. So can you tell him to stop eating sugar? And Mahatmaji said, you're right. Sugar isn't healthy. And so can you come back next week and I'll, I'll tell him. She's like, okay, sure, whatever, dude, you know. So she goes away. She comes back next week. She gets in the line. She comes to the front of the line. Mahamaji, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm the mom last week who came. And can you tell my son about the sugar? And so Gandhi turns to the little boy and says, son, your mom is right. It's not good for your health to eat too much sugar. You really need to eat less sugar. And the little boy goes, okay, Mahamaji, I will. And uh, the mother goes, well, thank you very much, but I I don't understand why you couldn't have told him that last week. (laughs) Right. And Mahatma Gandhi says, because I was eating too much sugar. Oh, oh, isn't that perfect? Oh, my gosh. I've never heard that story either. And to me, that's the core of why we as leaders, as entrepreneurs have to do it first ourselves, because Gandhi clearly felt I can only authentically, not hypocritically give this advice if I am practicing it myself. And I always think that when I'm going to when I'm coaching someone or when I'm talking to one of my own employees, can I honestly say that I am doing my best to do this thing that I'm encouraging this other person to do. And there's a kind of moral authority that comes with that. I know when I'm coaching an executive and I say, 
you know, you really need to do this differently. There's a kind of a deep authority that comes from me knowing that I'm really trying to do that myself. Right. Yeah. 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 I so agree. And it's, it's such an important concept because a lot of us are, are good at teaching somebody something else, or especially if you're an entrepreneur, or you're a leader, you're really good at something, but you're not always perfect at it. And you're not always good at it, but yes. it's very easy to tell somebody else what to do. Absolutely. And not and be then, following it a hundred percent. And then if, if they can look at you and say consistently, well, she has asked me to do that or encouraged me to do that. I see that she is really making genuine effort. It's not about whether that person is perfect, but if they can look right. and see, you know, they're sincere, they're actually making a sincere effort to do that. Okay. I buy it. I'll try yeah. and do that myself, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting because um, in the last year, I made a, a big change with my team where I actually promoted three members of my team to, you know, a VP position so that they could take over more of my day-to-day work. Yeah. And I was doing something and I can't remember what I was doing or saying, and I was sharing it with my husband. And, and he said, you know, you, you tell other people about, you know, what to do. If somebody, if somebody else was telling you the situation you just told me, I know exactly what you'd tell them. And I went, oh my gosh, you're right. How did I miss that myself? And yes. so I went back to my team and I said, you know what, you guys, I'm sorry. I can't even remember what it was, but I said, I'm sorry because I, I'm not following my own rules on this. And they were looking at me like, wow. Um, but it's yes. really important then to acknowledge when you haven't been, yes. because then you're like, just like uh, Muhammad Magami. Uh, I can't even say it. <laughs> Magami. Um, I'm just, you know who I'm talking about. That, um, that it's so important to be able to say, I'm, I've screwed this up. Yes. And I'm going to be better at it. Yes. And it's important because I don't want you to make the same mistake and end up with the same stress and think that I'm perfect at it when I haven't been. Yeah. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of our conversation about change, about people are willing to make change when they think it's normal. And as I said, the first thing people do is look at their leaders. Are you actually doing this? Have you actually Mm -hmm. made this change? Okay. Then I'm starting to trust that this is real. This is the way to go. This is the right thing to do. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And I think that's, that is, it is really, it's valuable for us to also to see that, especially during times of change, that when we really, you know, dive deep and say, okay, maybe I'm struggling with this change and I have to recognize that I'm struggling with it. And I'm not sure that I am leaning into it and seeing it as normal or that there's going to be positive outcomes. Then it's time for me to have a mental check for myself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's exactly right. I love it. Erica, I could talk to you all day. I love, I love everything that you do. Um, just absolutely positive. And I know we're going to have links to um, everything, all your websites, all, all of your books, everything in the show notes, but just in case somebody's listening right now and they're too, they're too excited to find you because they just want to look you up before looking at the show notes. What's the best way for them to reach you? I think the easiest single way is my website is my name and both of my names are spelled a little oddly. So it's E-R-I-K-A. A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N, ericaanderson.com. And they can find out about the books and my company and the podcast and everything. I love it. Well, before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? You know, I was talking about this to somebody the other day. I think the silver lining of the pandemic has been that we all know that we can 
we are more capable of change than we ever thought we were two years ago. And just allow that to blossom out into your whole life. And you you can make, I am convinced that we can each, we are each capable of making the changes we need to make to create the life we truly want to have. I agree. And once we give ourselves a little credit for that change, maybe it won't be so scary the next time we need to face it. (laughs) I love it, Erica. Thank you so much. Uh, Very inspiring message. Um, I love what you're doing. I love the the reality of this and all the effort you took to say, hey, I'm going to take a look at this change thing and figure out what we can do to make it less painful for each of us and help us to each become more change capable. It has been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you. A wonderful year end to you and all your listeners. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees and sales mixology. Why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.